I want to speak this morning on the one thing. Everybody say the one thing. If you have your Bibles, you could turn to Matthew 24. That's where we're going to start today. I want to place a thought in your spirit this morning that the disciples were in every revival service. They witnessed all the miracles. They witnessed the feeding of the 5,000 men then the 4,000 men. They witnessed Jesus pay his taxes by a fishing opportunity. They witnessed him turn water into wine, which from a, from a standpoint of science would have actually have blown up the city if you, you could do it that quick. Um, they witnessed him prophesy things and things take place. They witnessed him do all these amazing things. They witnessed him uh, uh, be able to minister to uh, anywhere from 20 to 25,000 plus people at a shot. And they came away with this one thing. They didn't ask him, teach us to preach. They didn't ask him to teach us to prophesy. They didn't ask Jesus to teach us to facilitate. They didn't ask Jesus to teach, teach us how to visit people. They didn't ask Jesus, teach us how to heal the sick. They said to Jesus, teach us to pray. So to think of the fact that the, that the disciples saw all the workings of Jesus and they came away with this. If we can get that man's prayer life, then all everything else will come into place. See, when we understand that what you're sitting in today was yesterday's prayer, it'll begin to make sense as to why the supernatural becomes easier and easier. I'm living off today the sustenance of prayer of a short period ago. We have to, as a people of God, and not to get ahead of myself, but we have to learn to be people who value the presence and the power and the purposes of God more than we do the tricks of men. And the disciples watched as Jesus led people, the greatest leader of all time, and this, this became very true to me recently, the greatest leader of all time left people, the, the closest of people in his life to desire his prayer life, then what am I as a leader leaving people with desiring in my life? Are they walking away saying, I want to preach like him? I hope not. Are they walking away saying, I, I, I want to do what he does with, with his finances or, or, or how he conducts this? I hope that there's some wisdom to be gained in some of these things. But ultimately, what I want to instill in our young people, what I want to instill in this church is people walk away and say, if there's one thing I can have from that man, I want his prayer life. I want his prayer life. His time he spends with Jesus Christ, because the disciples were in every revival service, all the miracles, all the great things, and they walked away saying, if there's one thing I could take from Jesus, it's his prayer life. I wanna speak on a prophetic picture of where the church is today, capital C Church. My father referenced before that the, the church today, corporate church, is a pretty bleak picture. See, Jesus, and we're going to get into this in just a moment, the last message that he left us with, with the Olivet Discourse, is what we're going to be looking at today. And he's speaking on the generation of his return. There are about 89 chapters in the Gospels concerning the first coming of Jesus Christ and the generation of that first coming. But his second coming, there's roughly, from Genesis to Revelation, there's about 150 chapters that describe to us the second coming of Jesus and the day and age in which he will come. So that means that eschatology or the study of end times is not just for a few weirdos who uh, stashed away a bunch of rice and guns and dug a, a bunker in the middle of a desert and who smell like camel crap. And it's also not for people who have 25 PhDs and are theologians who sit in an ivory tower. Eschatology or the study of the end times or the coming of Jesus Christ should be a theology and a gospel that every Christian is familiar with. Yes. 
and we're about to see this through the scripture, how people have taken one verse out of Matthew and have run with it and has just chalked up to, well, no one knows the day or the age in which Jesus returns, so I guess we'll just live our lives and just, hey, whatever happens, happens. But Jesus actually told us how we are to conduct ourselves when we judge the seasons, when we judge the times, and we discern the things that are happening, how we are to be prepared to be wise people in these days and, and this age. If you're, you're, you're flipped to Matthew 24, We are beginning to see, and we have been seeing now for some time, the signs which Jesus spoke to us of his return. Jesus prophesied exactly that in which we're walking in right now. And let me just say this as a prophetic picture of the church today. I believe when I speak on the end times, Many people, if we're not careful, we think end times means doom and gloom. But end times means that we are about to see the book of Acts on a global scale. That the, the, the best days of the church are now and to come. End times does not mean a defeated church. End times means that the gray areas have been taken away and the true church is a glorious church and a powerful church and a united church and a holy church and a church who is walking in righteousness and faithfulness and displaying the power of God to a lost and dying world. So don't think because what I'm about to paint the picture of through the words of Jesus Christ that I'm trying to show us, well, I guess we better go buy a bunch of rice and go hide in a connex container buried 30 feet in the ground and just go wait the storm out. No, Jesus told us how to prepare in the gospel. Amen. And anything other than the words of Jesus are a lie. Amen. We're seeing the clear signs. I hear people say, I, I just want things to return to normal. Let me just give you a little spoiler alert. Normal isn't coming back, but Jesus is. Well, I just can't wait till I don't have to wear a mask again. Wait, wait till you see the next thing they have for you. You know, some, some people, if the government told them, you know, tomorrow, well, they, they actually have to, they have to slap you on the butt, and that's what's going to be the, the stop to, to COVID. You'd have people running around and being weirdos. Just believe anything that they're told. Everybody say, buckle up, buttercup. <laughs> See, because we, we think that we're, we're so accustomed to this, this, this bubble that we live in of Americana Christianity, and we actually think that the focus is, and I'm as patriotic as they come, I'm more patriotic than I think anybody can, can ever dream to be. I have more guns than Heinz's pickles. I fly the American flag. I love the USA. I'm very proud of our First Amendment, the Second Amendment, which protects the first one. And I don't, that's the highest land, the highest law in the land is the Constitution of the United States. However, the US is not named once in Bible prophecy. Why do you think that might be? Praise God. See, the end times is as much gospel as Jesus dying on the cross. See, I, I, I like to look at it this way, that Jesus dying on the cross was the betrothal ceremony, but his coming back is the consummation. The greatest days of the church are ahead of us. Don't be concerned that end times means doom and gloom for the church. It's the best days of the church. However, this is what I do believe, that we are being called as the capital C church out of the Laodicean spirit as described in Revelation chapter three, the end of the chapter. Out of compromise, out of indifference, out of lukewarmness, and he's calling us out of complacency and into the fire of God that we would not be, we would not be lukewarm, but it'll be either one side or the other. 
That the end time church would not have a focus on, well, you're Church of God and I'm Assemblies of God. Well, you're Presbyterian and I'm Baptist. Well, you're non-denominational and you're this. The focus would be on Christ, his power and his purposes. And those things that, I, I, you know, Church of God, Assemblies of God, they would be expressions of the goodness of God. I'm not negating those because they are wonderful works of God. But the focus would not be a, on a label on the door, but they'd be a label on our heart that we are his and he is ours. Everybody say the one thing. See, it's gonna be the book of Acts on display on a global scale. And as Pentecostal people, we hear that and we say, great, Acts 2, one through four, the baptism of the Holy Ghost. We have to stop reading the book of Acts as just Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost and realize it's this. Holy Spirit baptism leads to great purposes, leads to great martyrdom. It's baptism in the Holy Ghost Tons of people get saved, they get martyred. And see, in, in Acts chapter two, Peter steps out and preaches this message, and he says, and I'm paraphrasing some scripture here, that hey, what Joel prophesied back in Joel chapter two, what he prophesied, this is just the start of, the, start of it, and it's gonna continue and increase until Jesus comes back. So we're about to see the book of Acts on a global scale. But when we say book of Acts, I don't want your mind just to go to the first and second chapter of the book of Acts. I want us to look at things like how Paul goes to Ephesus and rocks the city with revival and bankrupts the idolatrous uh, system of that world, of that city, and the people cry out, get away from us. See, we see revival as 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 preachers getting famous rather than Jesus becoming famous and people crying out, get away from us. We've been sold this idea that revival means, means nickels and noses when revival actually means uh, we're gonna bankrupt the city, people are gonna hate us, but Jesus will be glorified, so it's okay. We cry out for revival. Do we know what revival actually entails as a whole city screams because they're in uproar because they said, oh, we don't want you people here because you're the same people, Acts chapter 17, verse six. These are the ones who turn the world upside down. We don't want you here. It makes more sense now what Jesus said in Luke chapter six and verse 26 that we should beware when all men speak well of us. See, we're gonna see a glorious church, but with persecution, with martyrdom. However, that's the gold in which the church goes forth and shines the brightest. It's kind of like the three Hebrew boys that I preached on a few weeks ago, that when they were thrown into the fiery furnace, the only thing that burned off from them was the bondage in which the world put them in. Persecution and tribulation does not destroy that which is eternal. It only destroys the temporal things of this life. Amen. See, one way to look at it, I like to think of it this way, that Jesus is going to openly confront the wicked systems of this world, and he's about to open up a can. He's about to kick some tail. He's about to go John Rambo when he hops up and grabs that guy by the jugular, sorry. It's that call, Liam Neeson says, I have a very specific set of skills. Now we can settle this one way. You can give up my people or I will find you and I will settle the score. And the guy says on the other end, good luck. And we know how the story ends. See, it's gonna be a glorious church, but there's gonna be an opening, an openly confronting of the darkness that's been hidden in the nation since the foundation of the world and the fall of man more specifically. Jesus is gonna return and it's gonna make, make it look like John Rambo took a day off as he exposes the darkness and the wickedness and confronts the, the, the systems of the world and shames the wise. See, one way to look at it, it's, it's the book of Acts married with the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus was one of the greatest turning points in human history as light confronts darkness and says, let my people go. And if not, there are gonna be some repercussions for you to pay. See, I believe that we're about to see an end time Pharaoh, the Antichrist, and Jesus come and confront him. 
and say, I'm about to deal with this wickedness. I'm giving you time to repent. I'm being merciful. But we know how the story ends. Doing all right out there? The church will be unified. The church will be powerful. The church will be purposeful. And the metrics of men will be shot right in the head. Here's what I want us to just place in, this, in our spirits before we, we get into Matthew 24. Many things in the kingdom of God have an immediate or a short-term, in other words, a short-term after it was prophesied, fulfillment. And then they have a final or a definite fulfillment. For instance, what Jesus prophesied, we're about to read in Matthew 24, about the, the destruction of the temple. That was fulfilled in the short term with the Roman Empire coming and besieging and knocking out the temple. Now, long term, it will be fulfilled, we know, in a different way. So, Matthew 24, I need to be quick this morning. I have a lot of Bible. I hope that's okay. And if not, uh, repent because we need to love the Bible. Amen? Give you a little picture of what's going on. They're showing Jesus the temple. Jesus, look, look at the temple. Isn't this wonderful? He's silent. Then Jesus says, hey, did you guys notice the temple? Like, well, wait a second, Jesus. We're trying to show you the temple. It's like, it's like if a realtor brings you in their house and says, look at the nice kitchen you're standing there. Hey, did you notice the kitchen? Yeah, I've been trying to show you that. Well, are you spaced out? What Jesus is trying to do here is say, I know you're trying to show me the works of your hands, but I want you to see this through prophetic and spirit-led eyes. Verse two, and Jesus said to them, do you see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. That was fulfilled in the short term and that will be fulfilled in the long term as well. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, take heed that no one deceives you. The number one trouble to the end time church is not a lack of power, is not COVID-19, is not any other pestilence or, or racial divide or anything like that. The number one problem in the end time church is deception. Because the first thing Jesus says is take heed that no one deceives you. We'll get into some of that more in just a second. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. People say, I, I don't know what in the world's going on in Afghanistan. I do, it's Bible prophecy. Right. And it shouldn't shock us. Right. See that you are not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation. In the Greek, if we can just Greek out for a second here, that literally means ethos versus ethos, or ethnicity versus ethnicity. When people try to say that they can solve the racial divide, they are lying. Well, we just need to have CRT. No, you need, you need to go take a back seat and go read your Bible. Well, we just need to have, we just need to fire the police. No, you need to get fired and realize that you need to go read your Bible because this was all prophesied. Well, we need to have reparations. No, you need to read your Bible. Because Jesus said that ethnicity will be divided against ethnicity. He also says this and continuing on, kingdom against kingdom. Now we're speaking of geography. And there will be famines, pestilences, underline that. People say, oh, I just can't wait till COVID 19's over. Uh, there's an S at the end of the word. I don't know if you realize that. So that means that if it, whatever you gave up in, in COVID 19, repent and make sure you never make that mistake again. Well, I don't know why you guys didn't close the church. Don't you know? I don't, if it had a 99% death rate, the doors of the church are open. And here's why. Because pestilences is plural. And what we give up in, in the short term, ultimately, we have to keep doing over and over and over and more as the return of Jesus draws nigh. 
The answer is not in a, in a you know, I don't want to kick it off Facebook. It's not in a thing. The answer is in Jesus Christ. Amen. And the church is fighting whether over they should, that they should get a jab or not. And Jesus is like, yo, I'm returning soon. Would you stop fighting over, well, it's actually only this transmissible. It's actually only that. Shut up and go win souls. People will send me stuff all the time. I put LOL. LOL, praise the Lord. Don't you know the severity of this? Yeah, it's called Bible prophecy. And instead of you writing up a 13-page book report on it, why don't you just stop fighting with people and go win souls? Amen. Ridiculous. The focus, the focus on the events instead of the focus on Jesus Christ is appalling. Starting with the pulpit, down to the pew, down to the White House, and down to everybody else. Well, it only has a 98 point. I don't care. Shut your mouth. Get a prayer life, not to get ahead of myself, but get a prayer life and go win souls. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Yes. And earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. <laughs> Jesus is like, you're gonna, have, you're gonna have racial stuff. You're gonna have pestilences. You're gonna have natural disasters. You're gonna have famines, wars, rumors of wars. And, and hey, just so you know, that's only the beginning of what's to come. By the way, this is all before the rapture even happens. Just so we're clear. And as Christians, we got absolutely duped into thinking that our answer comes from the White House and not from the Bible. Now listen, there was a clear choice in 2020 as to who to vote for. When one guy is pro-killing babies, the other guy is pro-them living, that's a pretty easy choice. However, however, just because your horse didn't win the race doesn't mean that God takes a day off. And I, I find it funny that people have actually made their ministry on who gets in the White House and not who sits on the throne. Amen. By the way, prophets were never called to call race, uh, dog races, stock markets. They're called to preach the word of God and boldly proclaim who Jesus is. That's why I don't listen to guys who strike out and strike out and strike out. I listen to the Bible. And anybody who holds back the globalist system becomes an enemy very fast. I don't have too much time for that today. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. You will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended. Will betray one another. Will hate one another. Then many false prophets, here's the deception thing again, many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Cold love is a sign of Jesus' return. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. I'm not interested in flashes in the pan. I'm interested in enduring, persevering faith who holds on to the promise, who sees Jesus through and says, I, no matter what might come my way, I'm going to stand on the word of God and the best days of the church are ahead of us. And this is the verse that my life is built on. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. You want Jesus to come back soon? I do. Then get to preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus goes on. And he, he, he begins to describe and give parables and things like that of how we are to discern the times and the seasons. By the way, Jesus told us the generation in which he will return. He said it will be like that back in Genesis 6 in the days of Noah. And then the book of Luke when he prophesies, he says it'll be like the days of Lot. 
But I read that, I'm like, Jesus, couldn't, couldn't you pick maybe some better days? The days of Noah, that was some pretty rough days. That was like, okay, let's let just think of this just real practically. Was Noah a majority or a minority? When you're building the largest boat in the history up to that point in Iraq, and it hasn't rained, and he says, oh, God told me I'm gonna rain, it's gonna rain. I'll get into this in just a second. You have, we have to realize that wisdom is not justified until future realities. It looks like foolishness when Noah starts to build a boat until that first drop of rain strikes in how many years? Wisdom will be justified in future realities, not in today's news headlines. The next verses continue to talk about Jesus coming back, the things that will take place. Can I say this too? Jesus is literally coming back. And he ain't coming with a little pin on his, his suit jacket to run for office. He's coming back as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He's coming back with a sword in his hand, riding a white charger with fire in his eyes. And he's coming down to open up that can of whoop donkey to set things straight. Praise the Lord. I was going to go King James on you, but I'll leave that for my brother in the next service. I'm just kidding. He's not coming back to run a democracy and get voted in. He's coming back as the king of kings, the lord of lords, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the one who was and is and is to come and ever shall be. He's coming back to set his rule and his reign and to establish his kingdom on the earth to which there will be no end. He ain't coming back as president-elect. He's coming back as King Jesus. He ain't coming back as a Democrat or a Republican or an Independent or any other bozo. He's coming back as Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. He ain't coming back to establish food stamps. He's coming back to wipe out what has been established here on the earth. He's coming back to confront darkness. He's coming back to confront wickedness. And we can't see Matthew 24 and 25 as separate pieces of scripture. We have to see them as one message. The Olivet Discourse is one message. Now let's look at Matthew 25. And I'm going to be quick. And that's only the first lie I told this week. Praise God. I'm just kidding. I, I do respect your time. Then the kingdom of heaven, the same sermon. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Now, though, now those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. He's given us instructions on how we're to prepare and how to await his soon return. But the wise took oil in their vessels with them and with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, there's something about delay that causes all the fault lines in the human heart to rise up. Consider this. Moses on the mountain praying. That's, and he was delayed. He spends a 40-day period. There's delay that happens, and that's when the children of Israel begin to build their idols in the golden calf. Something about delay causes all the fault lines in the human heart to go crazy. Anybody here ever receive a promise from God, and then there seems to be a delay? What happens? Your flesh is crying out, you're crazy to believe this. Nobody else in your family believes that. You're crazy to, to contend for your healing. You're crazy to believe for your prodigals. You're crazy to contend for your family. You're crazy to intercede for this situation. You're crazy to wait for this. When there's delay, the fault lines in the human heart begin to rise. But when the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight, a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, no, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but rather go to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him into the wedding and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. Notice, by the way, in this passage, they were pure and they called him Lord, but they did not have oil in their lamps and that's what disqualified them. 
purity, your self-righteousness is not enough because holiness is not just abstaining from the things of the world. It's being committed to the one who is righteousness, who is faithful and true. Holiness is not, well, I don't do this and I don't do that. Holiness is being separated to God and dependent upon him. Just because you're pure does not mean that you're separated unto him. Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Here's Jesus' instruction in this sermon. For us today as the church of the living God, Jesus said, stuff's about to get real. It's about to hit the fan for, for the wicked. For my church, it's going to be glorious. It's going to be great. But here is the contingency in which we must base our life. Watch therefore, for you neither know the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Jesus is literally telling them, be vigilant and get a prayer life. For what you're about to see, if you want to be a wise, pure person, set apart for him, get a prayer life and watch out. Verses two through four, we see that there was five wise and five foolish. See, the difference between the five wise and the five foolish is the five wise not only had oil in their lamps, they also had vessels or, or reserves or secret history with the one that they got them from. The five foolish just took their lamps. See, the foolish's only concern was about keeping their lamp on. What is a lamp? A lamp is a public display of light. A lamp is your impact, your influence, and the things that God has handed you in life to shine your light on others. We used to sing that song on Sunday school. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. No, I'm gonna let it shine. That's our lamp. It's our public display of light. It's that which God has put in our hand to show the way, to show the truth, to show the life. It's, it's, it's to be useful and to show and have an impact and an influence. But let me say this. If our only concern is on lamps and not on oil, we've missed the boat. The foolish, their only concern was that their lamp that they had while the wise had vessels and reserves and secret history with God that was not directly connected to their influence at this time. I have this concern. Do we only go to the Bible to get what we need to live our lives? Or do we go to the Bible to simply gather oil? There's ministers who do this. Well, I guess I better go to the Bible and get a message. You don't have to go to the Bible just to get a message. Go to the Bible, commune with God, and there'll be things that he puts in your heart. It's building that secret history with God, and then you can minister out of the overflow and the abundance that he's entrusted you with. Five wise, the five foolish. Bridegroom gets delayed. As I referenced before, there's something about delay that causes all the fault lines in the human heart to rise up. Because wisdom is always justified in future realities. It looked, probably looked pretty foolish to the foolish ones. To, as those five virgins walked in, they had big old jugs of oil with them. And they had all kinds of oil in their lamp. And they're like, well, he ain't come, he's not going to spend that much time away. What do you think you got to be prepared for? But wisdom is justified in future realities. It doesn't seem productive to us to spend time every day in prayer, but it's justified in future realities. It doesn't seem productive to the world to be a tither, financial advisors. Why would you give your money to the church? Because wisdom will be justified in future realities. It doesn't seem right well, I'm going to go serve at church. Or are they going to pay you? No, I'm just going to serve. Well, that, that doesn't seem wise, but wisdom will be justified in future realities. We have to be okay with, as the church of the living God, to realize that wisdom will be justified in future realities. 
To some people, it didn't look wise when we kept the doors of the church open, but wisdom's always justified in future realities. At midnight, there's a cry. Can I tell you this? 2020 was a whisper in comparison to the cry that we're about to hear. It was like a 2-0 on the Richter scale. Nothing. Nada. And if we, if we can't run with, with the foot soldiers, how are we going to ever trot with the horses? Oh, Jesus. The foolish ones had their lamps going out. And their main concern, their lamp is going out. My influence is fading. As Jesus is coming back, my influence is fading. Oh, no, 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 it's going out, it's going out. See, their only concern is their impact. Their only concern is the lamp that's in their hand. So they turn to the wise, give us oil. We're, we're, we're not gonna last until he comes back. My lamp is going out. My influence is fading. My impact is dwindling. I need your oil. And the wise tell them, no. I'm not trying to be crude. Please don't look at me differently, and if you do, that's between you and Jesus anyways. There'll be times a teenager's going to me and say, Pastor Kyle, uh, everything's going on in life, so I need you to pray. And I tell them, no, go pray for yourself. Well, that sounds crude. Oh, I love to pray for people. But you can't live off my oil, and I can't live off of your oil. But there's one thing I can do. I can point you to the one where you can get oil. Some of the best thing you, things you could do sometimes is tell people, no, go get yourself a prayer life and figure it out with Jesus. And I love to pray for people. And we're commanded to. And I, I, I'm not negating that at all. But you cannot live off of other people's supply. The wise told them now, instructed them where to get oil. See, I can't give you my secret place and I can't take yours either. The door gets shut. Just like in Noah's day, the door was shut. No one's allowed in anymore. It's, it's a definite time. There's no amount of prayer in a holding place that's gonna put you in that ark. The door's shut, it's final. The door's shut and the foolish ones cry out and the answer from the bridegroom, catch this, is I don't know you meaning I do not have intimacy with you. Matthew chapter seven gives this pretty crazy picture where Jesus says this, there will be many in that day who cry out, but Lord, I healed the sick in your name. I cast out devils. I, I, I preached the gospel, did all this stuff. I ran and ran and ran hard for you. I worked hard for you. And he's, thank you. And I didn't even know you. Let me say this, there will be revivalists that people look up to who will go to hell. Amen. There will be people who pack out stadiums who will go to hell. There will be people who lay their hands on the sick and the sick recover and they'll go to hell. Because they worked for God, but they never knew God. Amen. Is Jesus a liar? So when he said in Matthew 7 that that would happen, do you think he was telling the truth or no? Okay, I just want to make sure. Notice, notice how when we say things like that, immediately our defense mechanisms go up because we have too much of a focus on lamps and not on oil. But that guy, he pulled somebody out of a wheelchair. That's okay. And you can do that and never serve Jesus a day in your life. See, because we have a focus on, well, that's that man's anointing. Or that, that, it's ridiculous. Now, we appreciate men and women of God. We celebrate the fivefold ministry. But they, they and I will be held to a standard that's even higher. And you can work for God your whole life and never know him. We'll get into more of that in just a second. The solution that Jesus gives is to be watchful, to be prayerful, to do what you're called to do to be vigilant. See, prayer is not an option for the end time church, it's their supply. If we're gonna be wise, if we're gonna walk in purity, we're gonna walk in love, 
got to get our prayer life and we got to get our eyes open. Jesus didn't instruct us to get a bunch of rice and get a bunker somewhere. He told us, get a prayer life. He also didn't tell us to go and get 25 PhDs so we can understand eschatology. Get a prayer life. In this passage, we see lamps. Every single person who's here today has, has a lamp, a public display of light, a sphere of influence in which God has put in your hand. We all have different size lamps, and I don't really know how much of that is even up to us. We see oil. It's a secret history and intimacy with God. It's our history with God, and our focus can't be on the lamp. It has to be on the oil. At the end of the age, there will be a separation of wisdom and foolishness, a separation of the sheep and the goats. The foolish are those who are more concerned with their lamps than they are with the cultivation of oil. The foolish had enough wick to have a lamp, but no oil to let it keep it going. What I believe, and you've been noticing this, I'm sure, is that celebrity Christianity is dying daily. You see guys who are, well, he was, his, his church was huge. That, that, that's wonderful, but celebrity Christianity has to die. Let me say this. You not tithing here, but giving to everybody on TBN has to die. They ain't gonna bury you. They don't know your name. I'm not cussing, but we have spiritual bastards in the church who are feeding off of every message that comes across the television or across Facebook and taking them as bar none and they have no submission to the house where God has put them in. Oh, Jesus. Why is it that in Revelation 2, when Jesus confronts the church of Ephesus, which by nearly every metric was crushing it. Church was 25,000 people, absolutely packed out. And he says, guys, you're doing about 10 things I really appreciate and I'm gonna applaud you for and give you a big thumbs up. I'm gonna give you A on your report card for those things. But there's one area that you're failing in and it's gonna be your detriment if you don't repent. I'm referencing now the first part of Revelation chapter two. Jesus shows up to confront the churches, pop quiz. He celebrates the things. Guys, you guys are you're crushing it. You're doing great in these areas. However, you lost your first love. In all of your success, in all of the ways that you've been promoted and, and you've grown in favor and all those things, you've lost the times where you would cry out to me every day. Your church is packed. There's people who are beating the doors to come in and, and, and you're walking the walk and you're talking the talk and you're doing all these great things and you're living pure and you're loving Jesus, but you, you've lost your first love. You lost the first things. Interestingly enough, in case you think I'm, I'm pulling too much away from the text and I'm not exegeting correctly, Jesus warns them if they do not repent in Revelation 2 to the church of Ephesus, if they do not repent, I will take your lampstand away from you. I will take your influence away. I'm gonna take your impact away. I heard a great man of God say this one time. He said, if you make Jesus choose between your influence and your heart, he'll always take your influence so he can have your heart. I serve with some of the best people in the world. God has raised up an amazing group of, of world changers, yes, in our teens and some of our youth pastors and things like that. But man, when success comes, it's a test. Because can, can God promote you and you still spend time every week in prayer and fasting, calling out to him in dependence on him? Or is your metric your graduation point? And we think we're graduating into something greater when we're actually graduating away from the love of God. Can God give you the promotion and raise in your job and you still cry out to him and be thankful to him and commune with him and be intimate with him? It 
See, if you make Jesus choose between your heart and your impact, he wants you to have both. He'll always choose to remove your impact so he can have your heart. When our impact gets bigger than our intimacy is when we've entered into foolishness. Can we still be humble at the feet of Jesus and let him work through us and and our impact not change our intimacy? Can our impact not change our identity? Can our impact not change our dependence on who he is and, and what his word says about him? Because we're called to be radical for Jesus Christ, total dependence on him. And as his, his return is drawing nearer and nearer, it's not about, about less prayer, it's about being more prayerful. And I'm about to show us just in a second before I close today. what Jesus said concerning Mary and Martha in Luke chapter 10 and how he followed up in Luke chapter 11. Leonard Ravenhill said this, a man who is intimate with God is not intimidated by people. Somebody, somebody said to me this week, they said, man, I, I love your tenacity. I thought to myself, I have zero confidence in my flesh. Zero, zip, zilch. I'm not confident in who I am. I'm confident in Christ in me who is the hope of glory, according to Colossians 127. I'm not confident in my preaching ability. I'm confident in the power of God. Paul even said, he said, I don't come to you with eloquence of speech and with man's wisdom. I'm gonna come with a demonstration of the power of God. My focus isn't on a PhD or a Pentecostal hairdo, whatever your interpretation is that. It's on seeing people's lives get changed, calling us to a sacrificial lifestyle in these days. A man who's intimate with God is not intimidated by people. Hear people say, oh, 2020, that was a bad, that was a bad year. Well, that was small potatoes. That was small potatoes, friend. 2020 was the start of the fireworks show, but how many know the finale is yet to come? Buckle up, buttercup. Again, I cannot stress enough, this is not doom and gloom whatsoever because for the church, we're gonna be a glorious church. We're gonna be a pure church. We're gonna be a priestly church, a powerful church, a presence-driven church, a purposeful church. It's people who are on fire for God, people who say, come what may, I choose Jesus through it all. I don't care what rises against me. I don't care what badge and gun they show up to the door to try to shut this place down. I've chosen Jesus, and for me to live is, I can live, but to die is gain anyways. Amen. We're gonna be a glorious church, an on fire church. Wickedness will be confronted on a global scale. Let's turn to Luke chapter 10. Close with this today. Everybody doing all right? I hope this helps you. I can't get this out of my spirit if I'd be honest with you. Maybe that's why God gave me such light blonde hair so I can be like, there's no transition from blonde to gray. It's just, I'm already light colored so I could preach, preach like an old man that Jesus is coming soon. I can go right from the gate with that, you know? I don't have to go through 30 years of all kinds of other messages. I just preach right from the get-go. Jesus is coming back. Let's get ready. I wonder, all joking aside, we don't know the day or the hour, but if I was to, if you, you were in a coma and I was to wake you up and you saw snow on the ground, and you saw a Christmas tree set up, and you heard Christmas carols being played, when you come out of your coma, you would probably say, ah, it must be December, maybe late December. I don't know the specific day or the hour, but I can certainly discern the fact of the season and the time and the generation. Same thing with the return of Jesus Christ. Does that help? We can't, we can't look at that. Well, no one knows the day or the hour. That was actually about delay more than it was about being lazy. Luke chapter 10, Mary and Martha.
Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. Martha's being a little bit of a Karen at this point. She's, she's trying to rat out her sister. You know, look at Jesus. She, she's a lazy bum. All she's doing is just sitting around and just hanging out with you, and I'm over here working. Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. You know what blows me away about Luke 10, 41? People can be worried and troubled about many things and be in the presence of Jesus at the same time. You can be around all the things that are happening and still be troubled and still be weighed down. And until Jesus puts his finger on it and says, I'm calling, I'm calling you out of this complacency. I'm calling you out of this, this trouble and into my presence. Many people would never know. They, they, they would actually applaud Martha for working so hard. 42, but one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. I close with this. Mary sat at the feet of Jesus Christ and received his word. While Martha was distracted, the Bible says in verse 40, with much serving. With much serving. With much impact, but no intimacy. With much influence and no intimacy. Martha was making things happen, but she had no intimacy. And don't think that I'm picking on the Martha people Because Mary, and I'm not, this isn't about fault finding, it's actually about being a really good both. Because a lot of us here today are more prone to either be a Mary or a Martha. We either want to go grab our Bibles and go sit at the feet of Jesus and just hear his word. And, and, and I'll say this boldly yet humbly at the same time. There are people who think they're being intimate with God and they're not intimate with God at all. Because they think that sitting around listening to worship music is being intimate with God. But intimacy always brings pregnancy. And they, they haven't won, they haven't advanced the kingdom of God in 40 years, and, and yet they, they claim that they're being intimate with God. I was in Bible college, Brother Munley's class. My fellow classmates, day of finals, shows up late, we had a, a test that was like a book thick. No, Brother, Brother Munley used to test us, I don't know if he still does this, tried to test you to fail you. Like that was his thing. I'm gonna test you to see if you actually know this information. So semantics things and all kinds of misplaced words just to trip you up. We had three hours to take this test, which most people needed every bit of the three hours. Big, thick thing. Just breaking in the freshman. I'm going through the test. This kid walks in the third hour. Hair's all matted, sleepies in his eyes. Brother Munley snaps his head over and has this look in his eyes like, you're kidding me. Your grade depends on this. 20 some thousand dollars a year depends on this and you slept in. The kid has the audacity to go and really sorry, Brother Munley. I was in prayer all morning. He said, really? He said, I didn't realize that the Holy Spirit was gonna interrupt your final. And I use that, that story and with respect to, to everybody who was involved there, obviously because just because the kid missed it that day doesn't mean that you know, he's done or anything like that. He actually went on to be a, a great man of God. Never use intimacy 
as an excuse for non-productivity. Hear people, oh, oh, I'm sorry, I'm, you know, I'm in the word that day and their word is the bed, you know. Don't use intimacy as an excuse as to why you're not receiving the purposes and the presence of God. With Martha people, don't use serving as an excuse as to why you can't sit at the feet of Jesus. Here's what, I wanna leave us with these thoughts. If your primary reward is in what you're doing for him, you'll always feel like he's not doing enough for you. See, we're gonna find our reward in something. You're gonna find your reward as the worship team comes back. You're gonna find your reward in either the words of men or the affirmation of our Savior. You're gonna find your pat on the back either from people and you'll always feel like people are not doing enough for you or you'll find it from God. And whatever people do, you couldn't care less because you're just doing it for Jesus. I've heard people say before, well, I've, I've, I've been serving for this many years in the church. They've never put me on staff. Well, is your reward in the title you possess or is your reward in, in, in serving Jesus? You'll always feel like men can't pay enough when you're working for them. But when you work for Jesus, that first love, that on fire spirit for him, See, we can't put the cart before the horse. We can't put the cart before the horse. Meaning, the very best Marys will become the very best Marthas. Our intimacy with God will bring such a great effectiveness for the kingdom of God. Are we walking in a way today as believers that people in your workplace are actually coming away after being with you and saying, I don't know what in the world that guy's all doing, that gal's all doing, but they have a relationship with God. They have a prayer life that I want. They have a fellowship with the sovereign creator of the universe. And yet at the same time, he is father and he's friend. He, he, he's my Lord and he's my very best friend. It's that communion and relationship with God. I've actually thought of this before when I come up against something I don't, don't quite understand. I'll say, Lord, you gotta help me with this. You, he, you gotta get involved with this. I, I, a great man of God one time told me, he said, Kyle, he said, you might not see the times where I pray hours every day, he said, but you'll never see me go an hour without calling on God. Yes, there's that time where, where, where we're communing with God and we're spending time with him, but then, and you're on your knees, but then you're driven to your feet and you're walking hand in hand with your savior and you come up and you can always call on him. Something you don't understand, something that's, that, that's trying you. And you can always get his voice on a situation. It's about communing with him. It, it, it's, it's not about, you should pray. Yes, we should spend time in prayer. And we, we hear people like a message like this and we'll walk away and say, I know I need to be praying more. Yes, we should. But we should also simply walk with Jesus more. That, that if I come up against something tomorrow morning that, that that's troubling, I don't have to be troubled because Jesus is present with me. The Bible says that he's our very present help in time of trouble. That when something tries to come against me that would take others out, it won't take me out because I'm hidden in the rock who is Jesus Christ, the everlasting rock, the one who is the Savior, the Lord, and helper in my life. So my call today is to keep the main thing the main thing. 
What is the one thing? The one thing is sitting at his feet and receiving his word. But as you sit at his feet, as you receive his word, all of a sudden he begins to fill your spirit with a passion and a compassion for other people. I was talking to, to uh, one of our students. They were just in, in uh, Western Alaska for, for an internship thing and helping at camp. And he said to me this, he said, Kyle, he said, I always loved kids. He said, but when I saw kids who went through some of the most tragic things in their life and yet still loved us and welcomed us and wanted to play with us and wanted just to spend time around us, he said, my heart began to break and began to say, Lord, I want to see something done for them. What happens when you spend time with God, he begins to fill you with his heart. The more time that we spend with God, the more he begins to fill your heart to say, I don't want to walk past another person who's sick and they leave sick. I don't want to walk past another person who's on their way to hell and they continue on their way to hell. I don't want to walk past another person or another problem without the presence and the power of Jesus Christ doing something about it. Everybody stand up on your feet where you're at today. If you need Jesus today, you can just reach out. You can receive him. I believe in altar calls, but I also believe that these altars never close. It's an open line to heaven. And I'm believing for and expecting the days and even greater then the great awakenings, when they wouldn't have to give altar calls because people would storm the altars to repent. Fall on their face before a holy God. I ask us this this morning in transparency with God. Are we people who have placed a priority on the presence or are we people who have placed the priority on our lamps or our impact? Are we people who, who in these end times are holding our lamp and saying, oh, no, 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 it's going out. I'm losing my influence. I'm losing my impact. My world's coming undone. Or are we like the, the wise ones who are there and who are ready and who are spotless and on fire for Jesus and who are our cry is Maranatha. Oh, Jesus, come. Oh, Lord, come quickly. Uh, I'm, I'm waiting for you to come. I'm waiting for you to come on that charger, uh, holding that sword with fire in your eyes and, and, and with a, a tattoo or whatever you want to call it, of, of faithful and true because he's the king of kings and he's the Lord of lords and our hearts cry as the people of God have to be this. Even so, come, Jesus. Even so, come. I'm not looking for a shot to solve my world's problems. I'm looking for a five foot six Jewish man to split the eastern skies and to come with a white charger. I'm not, I'm not looking for somebody to inhabit the White House to, to take care of my issues. I'm looking for a Jesus with fire in his eyes and a passion for his bride. I'm not looking to the news to dictate my life. I'm looking to the word of God and say, not my will, but yours be done. I'm waiting for Jesus sitting at his feet. And this is, I don't know, maybe you think I'm crazy. I couldn't care less if I'd be honest with you. There's times even the night where he'll wake me up and say, Kyle, would you just call upon me? And I could spend time with him even in the wee hours of the morning, just calling on him and just waiting for him. Even last night, multiple times, just him filling my heart with things even to happen in this service and him calling me away. In the book of Song of Solomon, it says this, and this is my warning to us today, that, that, that the beloved came and he grabbed the doorknob and, and, and our hearts would race. But we said, I cannot come away for I have already come to bed. I have already, I've, I've already uh, uh, put my shoes off and, and put my garment off. And so finally, the bride comes to realization that she should go away with the beloved and she runs to the door and grabs the door and flings it open and he's nowhere to be found. 
because the invitation to come away is contingent on our urgency with God. Can we be people like Revelation 3 and verse 20 after he's done rebuking the churches and, and, and calling out the things in the church that need to be confronted? And at the end of that, he ends with something like this. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, Revelation 3.20. If anybody would open the door, I would come in, I would sup with him. I would spend time together as friends. The call of God today for us is this. Will we answer when he knocks at the door for us? Or we'll be, be like the foolish bride in the Song of Solomon. The door was a knock and the, the knob was twisted, but we gave all kinds of excuses as to why we could not go away with the beloved. I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm retired. I'm still in school. I'm this. I'm that. This problem. That's why I can't. I don't have time. Or when he knocks, can we say, I'll come away with you. Everybody just bow your heads and close your eyes. I'll close out here for the sake of time. I can't give you oil today. That's a cheap lie that people have bought into. You can go through a fire tunnel and get some other guy's oil and, and run away and, and not ever have a secret place with God to sustain it. That's a cheap lie. Or, or, or that you can get oil on the run. Oh no, he's coming, give me oil. But I pray over you today, the best thing I can do is, is maybe, maybe knock a funk off you and get you to get focused on Jesus. The Bible says fixing our eyes on Jesus who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. Amen. Your answer does not lie in a man or a woman. Your answer lies in Jesus Christ. Give us oil. No, but I can tell you where to get it. His name's Jesus. I pray over you right now such a desire for the things of God. Such a desire to commune with him. Such a desire to be intimate with God. Because a man who is intimate with God is not intimidated by men. That in these last days, I don't care what edict the, the government tries to hand down. I don't care what they try to mandate. I don't care. I have no concern because I'm not intimidated by you. I'm intimate with God. And he's placed a confidence on the inside of me that says, just hold on, Kyle, because I will come. And wisdom is not justified in today's day and age, it's justified in future realities. So I pray over you that you will hold on to the promises of God, come what may, that you'll hold on the promises of God, though, though backsliding and, and people try to walk away from God, that you'll hold on to his word and his will and his ways. And you'll say, Jesus, have your will, have your way, have your word planted in my heart. Psalm 119 says, I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I pray that we'll be people of the word. We'll have a Bible revival. We'll be people who are obsessed with scripture will store it up in our hearts that we would not fall or falter in these days of his soon return in Jesus name ultimately I bless you that you'd be so obsessed with Jesus that nothing else will satisfy or matter in Jesus name amen God bless you guys worship team is going to play a song I love you so much I mean that I really do love you guys have a great day we hope you enjoyed that message. And if you did, take a photo of yourself listening and tag us on social media at Peckville Assembly of God. We'll see you next time. And remember, we love you, God loves you, and may God's richest blessing be yours.